0: Today, go with me in your Bibles, and let's go to the Book of Exodus. And I'm going to go to a few places today, uh, and I'm I'm just trying to hit something specific that I need you to you to grasp. Uh, we talk about the weapons of this of this time. We talk about how to overcome, how to to live for God, and and just as the world continues to to get tighter and more difficult. It's just going to be the way it is. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm telling you it's, a, it's a really a wonderful thing in the fact of what we're called to do. But you have to understand the calling that's on every one of our lives. Uh, the situation that, that we've been put in uh, and will continue as this world changes to do something that God has called us to do. Um, and I want to entitle this this morning, uh, Preparing for the presence of God, learning to prepare yourself for the presence of God in your life. Everything God did, uh, even from the Old Testament, was to prepare people to establish them for the presence that He wants to put on their life. Now, I'm going to come back to this phrase, but you can write it down because this is the the key phrase to what I want you to understand today. It is the simple fact that God is a God of contrast. Everything that God does, He does it in contrast. Let me say it this way, Satan is not the rival of God. You know, we we look at, well, there's God and then the opposite of God is Satan. No, the opposite of Satan is Michael. The opposite of Satan is Michael. Those two go to war. You're never going to read where, where God was fighting with the devil. No there, is no, there is no rival between God and Satan. There is a fight between an angel who followed God and, and, and established himself and said, I will follow, obey, I will be that archangel. And then there is Satan who said, I want my own throne and my own ability. And when they are fighting, Michael looks at Satan and says, the Lord rebukes you. There is no rival between God can breathe one little breath and Satan would become nothing but dust. There is no opposite. We get it in our mind like, well, there's Satan and then there's, you know, you see the horror movies and it's like God versus Satan. That's not reality. There is no rival. There is no fight. There is no battle. But God is a God of contrast. So he uses Satan to be the contrast to what he wants to accomplish. What he is looking for is somebody or some group or some individual to rise up and choose him and choose his word and choose his side so that you would put the enemy, Satan, to defeat. That is giving God glory. So imagine this this timid, uh, little ability I'm standing before Satan and Satan is humiliating he is arguing he is telling me I can't do it and God is saying listen you're weak you can't fight him he's got all these talents but you have my word and you have my backing and so what I want to do is put it on display all the time. All the battles that you see in the Old Testament, Gideon taking on the armies that they were like the grasshoppers of the field, they were too numerous to numbers, and he he is told by God, Get, we're going to whittle you down to 600 people running off a side of a hill, yelling and busting a lantern and, and, and screaming and hollering. That's how we're going to defeat them. Well, you can't do that. Oh, but with God, all things are possible. I can do all things through God who Christ who strengthens me. I have the understanding then that God is a God of contrast. And what he's trying to do is build a contrast between my condition and my situation and my circumstances and his word versus what the world says can not happen, won't happen. You don't have the power to accomplish it. And thus the battle is set. Abraham, who's too old to have children, don't tell God. David, who's too young to take on Goliath, don't tell God. He's looking for contrast. Look at the person beside you and say, are you living in a contrast right now in your life? So this is, this is where you realize that you're living in your battles. All that it is is a contrast. Right now, if you're sick in your body, all there is is a contrast. Now, I don't want to hear about you're sick. You're not sick. You're in a contrast. The world calls it sickness. The world gave it a title and gave it a name and gave the disease all its thing and wrote articles about it and told you how you couldn't be. But God said that, you know what, I have the ability, I'm the great physician, I can heal all diseases. There's no problem, no situation, no circumstance. You're just in a contrast between what the nurse and the doctor is telling you and what the Word of God is telling you. And you're going to have to decide which side you're going to stand on and which side you're going to believe and whose reports you're going to, And I know when I say this, man, it just hits. I can look at y'all's faces like, I don't know about that. Because we don't like the contrast. We don't like to be the one in the battle. We want God to fix it and us not have the inconvenience of it. But it doesn't happen. You will have to endure the sickness. God says my word won't change. So, when, when I've gone through moments of sickness, what do I do? I proclaim what God has already said about it. I speak what God has already directed. When any thought comes out, oh, I might be getting dementia, I don't keep forgetting people. Oh, no, 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 no. There's no such thing as going to enter my life. I, I declare it can't enter my life. Why? Because there's a contrast. And your life's fight will be the contrast that you choose to fight or what you choose to accept from the world. Now, why is that so important? Well, go with me to Exodus 13, verses 20 through 22. I'm going to show it to you in several places. And through these places, um, hopefully you will grasp what I'm trying to to get across. So they took their journey from Sekoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. Now, this is the children of Israel. They have just been delivered from Egypt by God's strong hand. See, there's a beginning place of your journey where you do not have the power nor ability to begin. That's why you can't come to God and say, well, I've chose or I've, I've put myself. Yes, you made a choice to trust Him, but you did not possess the power to come out. And so your journey begins just like my journey. That's why none of us can brag. None of us can, can, can gloat or say, well, look what I, I, I tell you what, I tell you what, I, I've done this for, th-. no, you haven't. It all began from the same place. You were in bondage and lost and blind and all of that and undone and in prison and you were, and you did not have the power. So God with a strong hand brought you out of bondage, set you in a place. But from that moment on, He has said, we will work together. You will go no further than this place unless you are willing to work with me. But God, who knows you better than you know yourself, has set the stage for everything to work in its place. Let me show you what I mean. So Israel has been delivered. Two million people, let's say two million people, just got out of Egypt. They're all out there headed toward the Red Sea. And Moses is leading them, and they're in companies, and where are we going? Listen to what the Bible says. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of what? Of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and by by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day. Or the pillar of fire by night from where? From before the people. Why is this so important? Because verses right before this, as I told you, he's leading them. But he says, listen, he could have taken them through the land of the Philistines. He could have taken them in a different direction. It would have been shorter to get to Canaan. But God said, I can't do that. I I can't take you there, but I'm fearful that if I take you there, you will out of fear decide, we're going to go back to Egypt. We're not going to do this. We'll be afraid of fighting. We'll be afraid of the fight, and we'll go back to Egypt. So God is always weighing and figuring every battle that you're fixing to go through. That means right at this moment, the battle that you're facing right now, With the one that you think, God, I can't take it. God, I'm not able to handle it. God has already pre-weighted pre-fashioned it, pre-designed it, and if he'd have thought that you couldn't have done it, he would have taken you a different route so that you wouldn't have had to face it. But God right now has said, what I'm doing is, is I'm putting you in a position, in a place, in a condition, so that as you go through this situation and you go through this circumstance, you will be able to shine and you will be able to glow a light so that the world will be able to see it. Let me me see if I can show it to you a, a little bit differently. Go with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 4. Isaiah 4. Pull up the final four verses, five verses of Isaiah 4 for me, if you will. I don't want to read all of Isaiah. Just pull up the final five verses of Isaiah 4. Adriana said she'd just go with me today. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing to those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. When the Lord... Uh, has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst and the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create above uh, every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud of what? A cloud of smoke by day and a shining of the flaming fire by... What this is, is a telling of when Jesus comes. And he says, listen to me, he is going to purge by fire. And we know how he came in and he did all of these things. He's going to reestablish. He's going, he did all of those things that we just read. And he says, listen to the key of this, Oh, is that a cloud of smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. And there will be a tabernacle of shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Go with me to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Let's just begin reading from Hebrews 9. I want to just take this, and I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach here. For indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on the sides with gold in which were the golden pot and and that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of those things which cannot now speak in detail. So he says, let me give you a picture. The apostle Paul is trying to teach what I'm teaching right here. And he says, let me give it to you. He said, in times past, God used specific places and things to show you in a picture what was ultimately what's supposed to happen. We know that in the New Testament, we now are the tabernacle of the living God. That tabernacle is not something built with hands. It's not something, as he says there, not something formed and fashioned for man. But it's something that God has designed, that God had in his plan, that the enemy had not known it. If Satan had known what he was doing, he would have never done it because he thought that I'm destroying the tabernacle. But in fact, what he did was he created thousands upon thousands of little tabernacles that were going to go throughout the world that were able to travel and move and could not be stopped. And he said, Let me tell you the significance of the tabernacle. He said the significance of the tabernacle is that it had within it specific articles that were important. He said you know of the outside that had the laver and had the different places and the place of burnt incense and, and different areas that you would go. He said but there was a place that was the holiest place and that holiest place was unique because it had no light. It had no light within it. It had its own lampstand, It had its own candles, its own things. And it was two articles that he says are important. He said there was the censor, the light that was in the place, and he said there was the Ark of the Covenant. Those two things are the most significant things that we have. He said, let me describe for you the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box, just a small box, and this small box that was there Was overlaid with gold. Upon the gold was a was a cap, lid that was put on it. On this lid had two cherubims that pointed toward each other, wings touching. This was called the mercy seat. This is where the blood would be poured by the priest for a sin offering every year. And he said, This is significant. Because this is where your holiness comes from. This is where your forgiveness comes from. This is where all of this comes from. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, when Jesus comes, I'm going to show you something. When Jesus comes, it is a unique moment. Because he is trying to get the tabernacle in you. And the first difficult part that he has is that you are unholy is that you cannot hold the tabernacle. Remember now, you cannot even touch the Ark of the Covenant. If you touched the Ark of the Covenant, you would die. Remember the story of David how, trying to carry it on a little wagon and somebody reached out and put their hand and they died and it scared everybody. And and, and it, it, was, it was understood you cannot come into contact with the presence of God the presence of God is too powerful for you in fact God had established only once a year that you would be able to come near the presence of God and you couldn't do it only one priest could do it he would come in his clothes totally white and washed and clean and then they would sprinkle him with the blood of animals that would let you know that he is coming to do the sacrifice he would bring the sacrificial blood the offering into that place and One time a year he would walk in, he would pour it upon there and he would know that God once again for a whole year had held back his wrath upon the sins of the people and for one year it was taken care of. But there was no way to get to the Ark of the Covenant. But listen to me, something miraculous happened and we miss it many times. When Jesus was resurrected and they came into his tomb, do you remember what they saw? They saw an angel at the foot and they saw an angel at the head of where he was laid. you you, got to understand, they saw an angel at one side and an angel on the other side and they're standing there looking at each other. What he had done was he had taken what was once the Ark of the Covenant where there was only one place there was ever a mercy seat and he had decided that I will become the sacrifice and there in that stone tomb there between two angels Jesus laid down his life bled his life's blood and there conquered sin that created the unholiness in our life and there he paid the price that's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant that's the reason we as Christians say we have a new covenant we're under a new covenant it's the covenant of Jesus Christ having paid the price so we can inherit and can once and for all come into the holies of holies as the apostle Paul said come boldly unto the throne room of grace and make your petition known why? because it's been paid for it's been taken care of I can enter into God's presence Oh. oh the wasn't just called the Ark of the Covenant, it was called the Ark of the Testimony. The other title for that box was called the Ark of the Testimony. And the reason it was is because inside of it was Aaron's staff, Moses' tablets. And what it's designed to do is there's two distinct parts that has to be given to become what God wants you to be is a ta- to entertain the presence of God. There is a specific mindset that you have to have. One, you have to have the covenant correct in your mind and in your heart. You have to establish it and have it set Because if it's not set, then there will be continual arguments within your mind of whether you deserve healing, whether it's what God wants, or whether you deserve to be getting out, or whether it's just what God... You will not be able to stand on word because you're not standing on covenant. The second part of this is that... Remember what the Bible says in Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. The ark of the testimony... The second part of your power or authority is you being able to tell correctly the stories that God has done in your life to overcome the enemy of your life, and that becomes the second sphere of the power that God wants to put in you. See, see uh, the world understands this better than you do. You me tell you why. Because if there is any story about God doing something or anything that is church, that, that, that the kingdom is doing, do you think the news media is going to make a six-part documentary on that? No you think they're going to come along and they're going to write article after article after article about, hey, let me tell you what, man, I'm going to tell you over in that church over there the other day, we had somebody got healed. I'm telling you, somebody got literally healed. We had doctors and people tested. It actually happened. you think they're going to write an article about that? No. Because the world understands the power of the words of your testimony. They understand that one of the greatest witnessing tools you have is the ability to witness to others, to tell them the story that God has done for you, and it causes other people to want to become or to receive what God has given to you. The world wants you to get to a point to where all you think church is is just going hearing some sermons and going home and doing your life. The world wants you to be conditioned to do this. Listen, the word holy, the word holy, listen, it has a connotation. And when it's brought down to its true definition, it literally means this, to separate from, to separate from. So when I say something is holy, it means it's in contrast to or it's separate from the thing that it's being compared to. It's, it means that it cannot be the same. So everything in this world that we fight, that we, that we battle, when God tells us, listen, what I want you to be in your life is a city on a hill. Remember how Jesus would talk about, you are a light. They don't take a light and put it under a bushel. What do they do? They put it on the lampstand and they let it, everybody see the light. You are a city on a hill. He uses this description all the time, because what he's trying to show you is what it's like when the presence of God is operating in your life on a day-to-day basis. And let me tell you what's, how it's going to be shown. How do I know that the presence of God is shining in my life? You will get into a lot of trouble. You're going to get into a lot of trouble. Not because of what you've done. Not because you did anybody wrong or you stole anything. No, no, not a worldly way of trouble. Man, you get in that kind of trouble, they'll, they'll find some way to, you know, get you out. But a godly trouble because you are standing in contrast to whatever the world has said is the truth. The world has told you through Facebook, through the internet, through your radio, through every way it can, through friends this is the truth. And it wants you to focus on that instead of being a city that God has called you to be on a hill. The Bible wants His presence to be in us, on us, and working through us. You are to be saturated with light. That's how you know that the presence of God is working. Listen, We are to be a contrast then, a total contrast to all the surroundings that are around us and are operating around us. That's what makes us different than the world. What we're trying to do is we're trying to fit in the world to be like the world but win the world. We want to dress like, talk like, do like, go wherever they go, and, and and all of a sudden then say, but our difference is we believe in Jesus. Do you understand that that's totally contrary to being in the place of the Holy of Holies, of being a tabernacle which is full of the power of God and full of the light of God? Well, let me see if I can say it this way. If you're living in a world that is perpetually moved by fear, anybody ever deal with that? So you're living in a world, man, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's, what's, and you walk into the room. Man, I'm telling you, today's a good day. What's got into you? Oh, I'm telling you what, God is on the throne. He's ruling this thing, reigning wrapping this bad boy up. We're headed on our way to heaven. Man, I'm telling you, it's getting to be gooder and gooder all the time. Now, how do you think they're going to receive you in that office? You're a contrast to the fear that's coming in. To someone who walks up to you with fear, I'm telling you what it's great. Oh, it's all good, man. We got to get there. We, by revelations, already told us how it's all got to wrap up. We just got to get it all get there. I mean, it ain't nothing new. What do y'all think is What's going to happen? It's like when somebody's going to. You know, we all got to die. The question is, where you want to go. You're a contrast to everybody that you're around. You're a contrast. What we want to do, though, is we want to be like them and talk. And if somebody says something that ain't right, you know, like, well, you just don't know what's going to happen. And you as a Christian is like, that ain't right. But you look at them and say, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, bro. No, you're supposed to be a contrast. I don't act like Even among my family, I don't act like everybody else. I say things and I'm very blunt about it. They'll say, You don't have sympathy. You don't have this. You know, I got all the sympathy. I want you better. And there's one way to get better God's Word. God's Word said this will make you better. You can do what God's Word said, or you can fight it. I'm I'm not mad at you, not upset. I got one job. I'm going to shine, I'm going to shine, I'm going to shine. And that's all I got to do in life. Now, if you don't like it, get away from the light. But if you like it, if you need light, I am the bad boy to come be around. I'm telling you, I'm full of it, wanting to show it, wanting to shine it. I got it in me, through me, on me. I'm wanting the light of God to come. So when you deal with people with fear, you're going to look weird. Why ain't you afraid? Because I don't have the spirit of fear. How about diseases? Oh, Lord. What if just by chance, I mean, just by chance, what if there was a disease that just happened? I, I mean, God forbid it would ever happen, but just imagine there's this pandemic that ever hit America. And God called you to be a contrast. The world says you it's killing you. You can't live. You just—it's gonna destroy everybody. You can't. The world says you gotta wear a mask, double your mask, do whatever you gotta do, stay inside, don't hug your grandma. The world says you—you—you gotta live in fear, be afraid of everybody you walk by in the grocery store. Don't touch no. Wash your hands all the time. Keep. Soap dispensers everywhere, live in fear. I mean, there's a disease going around. And you as a Christian are called to be a contrast. And God has says, don't worry, Tim. This shall not come nigh unto your door. And don't worry about it, Tim. You, there's no thing, deadly thing that ever comes along in your life. Isn't that what he says? Is I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. He says, Tim, you, you drink any deadly thing. If you come across any deadly thing, it's not going to harm you, Tim. So does that mean I don't get sick? No, I may get sick. But you know what? I'm speaking to that sickness the whole time I'm going through it oh you better have a good day because I'm coming up out of this thing and when I come out of this thing I'm going to give my testimony because I'm part of the ark part of the ark is the light that I shine and the testimony that I say you let me tell you what I went through that disease they keep talking about I went through it and had it for a week or so I went through all of that but you know what praise be unto God it couldn't hold on to me it couldn't get me I would get up every day and I would walk as far as I could And on some days, it wasn't but five feet. And I'd sit down and quote scriptures at that old disease. And I'd say, do you understand? You're trying to live inside a temple. You're trying to live inside a tabernacle. You're trying to live inside the church that God has created. And I got two weapons you can't stand against. I got the presence of God. And I've got the testimony of God. And I'm telling you, you got to go. And it's supposed to affect your lungs. Doesn't seem like it's hurting mine too bad these days. I'm kind of feeling good. Oh yeah, I had people tell me that. Well, you know it. You know people who go through that. They they, they don't ever get their lungs back. They don't ever. Get, I was like, God, I want better lungs than the ones I start. I think I'm louder now than I was before. I didn't go say, well, I just I made it. No, no, I'm going through it, and I'm going to have a testimony because that's part of my covenant. That's part of who I am. That's the the destiny of those who live in the presence of God. Listen, whether it's anxiety, here you are, you're at peace. Confusion, I don't understand confusion. We have a Bible. I ain't never seen such ridiculous. We have a Bible. If there's any confusion, go to it, get the truth, and do it. It's simple. We got all these crazy lifestyles. What does the Bible say about those crazy lifestyles? We got all the. What does the Bible say? But if we spend our time in the media, if we get our information from our Facebook and our whatever else you get and stay up half the night looking at and trying to figure out your theology and you're going to be filled with lies lies you know there were some crazy people they even told me you know they're going to give a government shutdown after this election you know what they didn't do it you know what you bought a lie where you get your information where do you get your truth? Where do you spend your time? What are you putting inside the tabernacle that you're carrying around showing to the world? It fills us, and I'm going to say this in the a, in a, in a correct way because it, it affects the church too. These lies fill us with something and on the face of it you're going to think that it's good because churches eat it up it fills us with sensitivity i ain't never met in my day so many sensitive churches We're sensitive to the poor. We're sensitive to the hungry. We're sensitive to the inner city. We're sensitive to the recovering people. We're sensitive. I'm going to tell you something. You don't need to be sensitive to nothing. You're a city on a hill. You're a light. What does a city on a hill do? Shines. Is it sensitive? Nope. People walk by it. Does it turn its lights off if it gets offended? Oh, so-and-so didn't want to come in. Let's just turn the lights off and just save the energy. No, you, your job is to turn your light on and shine. You don't know who's coming in. I don't know if any of you in here today are going to go back in the world and decide to think this old world is going to fix your problem. You think you're going to find some old boy going to make you happy or you're going to find some job that's going to make you happy or you're going to find some lifestyle that's going to make you happy or you're going to live some life that's going to make you... I don't know if you ain't got enough sense to know it don't work. I can't help you there. All I can do is say, look, for 27 years, I've been standing right here shining. I've been standing right here telling you it works. I've been standing right here telling you, you can keep your teeth, you can keep your life, you can keep your mind, you can keep your kids, you can keep your future, you can keep your life if you just decide to just shine. I'm not sensitive to it. If you want to walk by the city, walk by, but I'm going to keep on shining. I got two jobs in life. I've got to tell the testimony and I got to shine the light and I'm going to keep doing it until God says it's time to go home. Does it mean we don't care? No, I care. But we have become sensitive, so therefore sensitivity causes us to change what we believe. We don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt. We don't. Let me tell you something. If I'm a thief, and I'm hiding around a corner, and I got your TV under my arm, and you shine a flashlight at me, do you think you have offended me? You darn right. But it's my job. I can't worry about what's sensitive to you. I can only tell you the truth. And we've moved away from that, and we are very sensitive people. Think about how many messed up friends we just let live with us, hang with us, cuss in our cars, do what they want to around us. Because we're sensitive. And then we wonder why our light doesn't shine and why we don't overcome. Ain't nobody coming to your house if the lights are off. It's getting Halloween. We all know this. We know how it works. If you don't want somebody to knock on your door for candy, what do you do? You turn your lights off. Well, if you don't want the world to get saved, let me tell you something. Just turn your lights off, sit on your couch and be real quiet. So when they knock, they won't think nobody's home and you'll accomplish your goal. But if you want to win the world and you want to tell them you got something they need, then turn every blasted light on in the house and let them know that if you stop here, i got something that will help you. Now, listen to me. (laughs) This confidence in God, I'm going to just warn you, this confidence in God is going to be seen a certain way by the world. In fact, there's some of you in this room that see me this way, and that's okay. It's called arrogance. It's called arrogant. Pastor, he's just arrogant. That only comes from the world. Now, I'm not confident in myself. I never said I can heal myself. I never said I could deliver myself. I never said I could overcome by myself. I never said, I, I, all I'm doing is bragging on God. But to be confident is going to be seen as arrogant. It don't matter who you are. We talked about David. Guess what his brother called him? Arrogant. You, we know why you're here. You ain't here to kill a giant. You just want people to see you. You know what Gideon's own family and his family around him and his neighbors? Because God gave him one test. He said, Gideon, I need you to do one thing for me before I go into battle. We forget this many times. What's the one thing you need me to do? I want you to go over there to where they got them idols, and I want you to tear down every vineyard that they have. I want you to take your oxen. I want you to pull up every vine, every root. I want you to do it. And you know what happened the next day? whole town showed up at his daddy's house. And they said, send us out Gideon. We're going to kill him. Why? Because he done made himself a contrast. Gideon's dad said, oh, your God ain't big enough to kill him? If your God's so big, let him kill him. In fact, they gave Gideon a different name that day. From that moment on, it says Baal is against you. Have you got a contrast? Does anybody even call you by a different name? Do they hang around you long enough to know that you ain't like them? One of the greatest compliments you'll get is when people talk about you when you leave the room. That's the greatest thing that ever happened. At least they're talking about you. I get it all the time. I walk up in a situation, people straighten up, I can walk away. and Sometimes I just want to turn back around, walk back up, and make them shut up again. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to mess with them they a legend in their own mind. But you're a contrast. Are you a contrast? It'll come across as arrogance. My mom used to have a beautiful saying. She used to give us boys and stuff. And we, we were. I mean, we were confident. And, and my mom would always give us these two phrases. She said, Tim, there'll always be somebody better than you in the world. Remember that. And that was to keep us humble. There's always somebody better. And then she would always say this. She said, but Tim, it ain't bragging if you can do it. It ain't bragging if you can do it. And in time, the things I've learned to do, it ain't bragging. By the power of God, I can do all things through Christ. I ain't done all things yet, but I've accomplished a couple of them. I ain't got to the all of them yet. Have you? That means there's some stuff you ain't accomplished, but some stuff God's still saying, you can jump that. You can get over that. I ain't done all things yet. I ain't walked on water yet. I keep trying. I do. Sometimes I'll just, just test you. Just, I know it ain't right, but I'll just, like God, just one time. Let me just walk. And I sink. God said, you ain't there yet. But I believe with all my heart, if I ever needed to, I believe I'd walk on it. No problem. Because my confidence is in God. It comes across as arrogant to the world. It comes across as, as, as you're a know it all. You're a, no, I don't know it all. I just know the truth. You're the one trying to figure out the answers. I done found them. I I don't have a problem with them. Listen to me. When you look at this and you, and you put this into context, think about all seasons. Think about all seasons in its moment of time right now think of how big a contrast we are in our world. In a time of a pandemic, think about this, in a time of a pandemic where churches are closing and they're locking their doors, we're borrowing money and building a youth camp. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to think about the contrast while churches are not open last year all last, this didn't happen 4 years ago last year when churches are not open don't know when we'll ever go back they shut down every camp every kind of camp boys camp girls camps football camps they shut down everything last year and in the middle of it god laid on our hearts Let's build a camp. So that next year, when it's open, we had no idea that our governor and, and, and our our state would decide to be one of those that isn't going to lock down. But we just by faith said, God, if that's the contrast you need us to be, that's what we'll be. Think of the contrast that we are. People ask me, do y'all, do y'all have to wear masks when you walk in? No. If you want to wear one, wear one. Get you a good-looking one. they got all kinds of smiley-faced ones. Get you one. I ain't against them. Wear all of them you want. If, you, if that's something that makes you feel safer, that's great. I'm not against it. If I go into Walmart, I usually put one on. I ain't dumb. I got, I'm like, ooh. I don't know who you going to run into. Who wants to hug you? I'm like, hold on now. I'm not telling you not to do that. But I'm a contrast to the world. If the world says we live in fear, I don't live in fear. If the world says it's all coming... No, it's not coming to an end. It's just getting better every day. And so in, in the middle of all this, I get asked, oh, what are y'all doing? Were y'all doing anything? Have y'all started class Sunday school? I'm like, man, we've been rolling. And last year when you couldn't do camps and you couldn't do anything... We did. Oh, now, don't get me wrong. After we did it, boy, it was like it was like, "Oh. I love those moments, don't you? How everybody shows up. man, I'm telling you, boy, you, that was a God thing you did. I'm like, "Where were you six months ago? At home with my mask on? There you go. But listen to me you are called to be a contrast to this world. And the darker the world gets, the more the contrast your light will be. And I'm not saying it to scare, I'm telling you to get ready. Because there will be hundreds of people that will say, I need light. Whilst the suicide is increasing in our country, while anxiety is increasing in our, while fear is increasing, in our, where where this world, somebody's going to sit in this dark world and say, if that could, you, whoa, what's that? What's that? That's light. What the enemy wants to do, more than anything else, is he wants you to look like, sound like, talk like, walk like this world. He doesn't care if you say, but I believe in Jesus. He doesn't care. As long as there's no light coming from you, you will not affect anyone around you. Will you stand? I don't have time today, but if you have time, go to Psalms 116 or Psalm 16. Psalm 16, and let me just read this one verse from Psalm 16, and I'll use it as my close. Psalm 16 goes through several different areas. It talks about how in God's presence, there's safety. In God's presence, there's joy. In God's presence, nothing but good exists. In God's presence, there's security. In God's presence, there are boundary lines that keep you safe. They've been put there so that your life keeps going forward and not backwards. In His presence, you get a counselor. In His presence, there's strength. In His presence, it makes your heart glad. Finally, in His presence, I'm going to read verse 11. Here's what it says. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of light. In your presence, there's what? Brother Lodge, this world is crazy. It's okay. Brother Lodge, it's okay. I don't see how you deal with it. I'll explain it. The worse it gets, the more I have to stay in His presence. I find myself praying when I'm walking. I find myself praying when I'm standing. I find myself praying when I turn on the radio. I find myself praying. I find myself wanting more than ever before. Not to become relevant, not to preach the next great sermon, not to... What I find in my life more than anything else these days... is what I started out with years ago and it's come full circle now where it feels like that's the thing when I was young when I was in the MIP spent a year and a half with my uncle my uncle would tell me he would say Tim do you study when you're young do you spend your time with God when you're young I didn't understand I was too young and dumb to know all that and understand what he was trying to say I understood enough to know that I needed to spend extra time at his altar and praying. I had a regular job, and as soon as I would get off that job every day, I would drive by the church, I'd go in, I took the cushions off of the chairs in the foyer, kind of like chair cushions, and I'd lay them down in the sanctuary. On this, near the front. And I just lay there. And I just lay there and I'd talk with him. I'd read some scriptures and then I'd just talk with him. And I tell you, Kenneth, after all these years, all these miles, if you were to ask me what I longed for more than anything else in my life, If you were to ask me, if you could go back in time, if you could, one time in your life, I would tell you without a shadow of a doubt, that was the greatest time of my life. Oh, I've, I've enjoyed marriage, and I've enjoyed children, and I've enjoyed, but I'm going to tell you something. There was nothing more impactful, nothing more powerful, nothing that made me who I am more than just those moments where I just, laid and stayed i sat i cried just in his presence so i understand what the psalmist is saying what david is trying to say pull that scripture up one more time and see if you can understand it with him for you will show me my the path of my life see i didn't realize that while i was doing that he was showing me he was Preparing me and building me from my path. He said, I see you right here, Tim, but, but to get here, you got to start there. For in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures evermore. What he's saying there is that whatever word I've spoken over you, whatever word I've declared for you that's the word that is my strong right hand and it won't fail so when somebody says "Well, doesn't sickness scare you no no it doesn't because in his right hand there's strength doesn't all the stuff going on in the world bother you no No, I could care less because in his right hand are not only heaven that's prepared for me, but it's all the things that I need for my very day has been given to me. And God sent me by here today to tell you that what you're missing, what's giving you your heaviness and what's giving you your anxiety is the fact that you are battling here and you haven't settled it here. The moment you settle it here, You'll capture whatever tries to grub into here. It won't fit your system. So when somebody says something that's off, you're like, "Oh, that that ain't right." It won't fit your system. If you're here today, and you say, "Pastor, I see what I'm missing." Oh, I can tell you everything that was told on news last night. I can tell you where our country's going. I can tell you everything you want to know about everything you want to know. I can tell you where the last earthquake took place. I can tell you there's a tsunami took over there. I can tell you we got a hurricane coming off the East Coast now. I can tell you everything about everything. I can tell you everything about everything, but the thing I need to know. And what I really need to know I'm not spending the time. I want to invite you this week. I want to invite you starting this morning to begin to entertain, to begin to prepare for the presence of God. Prepare your mind so He can speak. Prepare your heart so He can move you. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I need to pray. I do need to spend time in His presence. Then, then there's nothing stopping you right now. The only thing stopping you is your own decision in your mind that I, 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 it's, it's not the right time. It's not, I'll do it later. I no. If you haven't entertained the presence of God, if when you walked in today, you had more junk on your mind than glory, you need to entertain the presence of God. Father, this morning, for every person in this house, as we walk out these doors today, we're either going to be a light, we're either going to shine, we're either going to look at this world and say, I'm a contrast to you. I can't be like you. I can't talk like you. I can't do the things you do. I can't sing the songs you sing. I'm sorry. I I can't be like you. I'm a temple of the Most High. I'm a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm a peculiar people called unto good works. I cannot be like you. Father, this morning would you please allow us to be that light on a hill? Would you please allow us please allow us to shine? And when they come near us let them hear our testimony of the goodness and the awesome power and overwhelming mercy of our great God so that we can tell them that the light that they see is not us but it's He who lives in us shining through us on us in us so that you might find thank you Father in Jesus name Amen Do you understand this morning that's why God wants His light to shine? The purpose of God shining His light on your life, the purpose of it, is because God wants as many saved as possible. When I was young, I used to think it was for me. Boy, God just wants to be good to me. And I grew up. And I realized, God, yeah, He wanted to be good to me. But He also wanted to be good to the person that was by me, who didn't know it yet. And He designed a pattern by which He could take Himself and travel the world. Lights all over the world. Not buildings, lights. And every one of you that goes into your workplace tomorrow, every one of you that goes to your school tomorrow, every one of you that goes into your life tomorrow, you know what you are? Your greatest occupation in life is to be light. It's to be light. Don't get frustrated. Some may get bad. Might call you old goody two-shoes. You think you somebody. They're going to say all kinds of stuff. You just shy. Just shy keep sharing what god keeps doing for you god bless you you understand now why i tell you go give the devil fits you got a job go give him fits you're dismissed